Welcome to the Creatives and Focus Podcast. Hi, I'm James Reed, a fantasy author publishing under JMD Reed. The first volume of my epic 12-book fantasy series, Shadow of the Dragon, is available for purchase. Check out Foundation of Courage. Today, I'm joined by J.R. Conkle. He's the author of Rebirth of the Fallen series. How are you doing today, Jeff? I'm doing pretty well. Awesome. How about you? Yeah, good. better than I was two weeks ago when we were supposed to do this. Those things happen. <laughs> so uh, I always like to start these uh, podcasts out with a, a fun question. Are you a cat person or a dog person? I am a cat person, currently surrounded by a small army of them. As a matter of fact, since I'm doing something, they need to participate. Right, right. An army of cats. How many is that? Uh, three. 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 We lost one recently, but it's three, but one of them's like 24 pounds, so kind of counts as four. Right. Okay. Fat cat and two skinny cats. Yeah. I got gotcha. you. He's not fat. He can climb oh. trees. He's just a big dude. Kind of All like right. an NFL, you know, defensive lineman cat. Gotcha. Okay. So he just kills all the dogs in the neighborhood and... He does birds, so he gets a bird every season, which is surprising to me. And then it's all chipmunks. Gets chipmunks, too. All right. That's a, so he's, he's a very active cat. Okay, that's good. Yeah, well, I mean, they're smart, too. They figured out that whatever the hell they catch, they just bring it in the house. Because they figured, well, the bird's not going to figure out how to get out of the house, and chipmunk is an endless toy. Oh, they bring it back in. A, okay, see, my mom's cat, she would just drop it on the porch and leave it nope. as a fun surprise. Uh, yeah, you know. definitely is. <laughs> um, but yeah, they bring them in the house, and I mean, sometimes those things get away, and it'll be a couple of days. And you wake up in the middle of the night with this demonic chirping, and then you know the sound of furniture getting knocked all over the place. Wow, what a, a strange existence you live, my friend. Well, it, it helps the creativity. I've yet to create a demonic chipmunk monster, right. but I mean, I I, I I think I can do it. I've read a, a novel series where uh, they use. A horde of squirrels to destroy somebody. Just thousands of them. Just, you know, little annoying squirrels. Right. But you could do the, you know, thou- what, what, what would it be? Like the one horse-sized squirrel or the thousand squirrel-sized horses? I think you want to do a bigger one to see what happens with that. I've got a moist meat monster in books four and five, this series. So I think Chipmunk is, uh, it's overdue. Okay. Now they were, I guess they, I don't know, they initially, it's like, it was like some like weird game lit stuff, so it was like dungeon battling. They were like, sure. Yeah, we'll just some you know, we'll just summon a horde of squirrels that run past all your monsters and explore your entire dungeon and then when they find you, they just murder you because, you know, they're small and tiny and inconsequential and you ignored them until it was too late. It was very very interesting. But anyways, so how long have you wanted to be an author, Jeff? So I started running uh role playing games like back in the eighties. Um so yeah, I'm old. Started with Dungeons and Dragons and then decided I wanted to do my own thing at the way end of the uh, 80s. Okay. Was so it because I, you got tired of Thacko? No, but I, I got tired of it. Yeah, you know, maybe maybe you're right. I got tired of the concept of it. So I built, you know, my own system and started running my own world. <clears throat> I even published it in the 90s. I lived in Milwaukee, so Gen Con was here. So I was it was easy and inexpensive for me to do, um, to be there. And then I just kept running games in it. And at a certain point, like 2004, I told my players that, you know, we're going to do kind of what Dragonlance did. 
where a lot of the scenes came from actual tabletop gaming. And we ended up starting to play out the, ser- the, the series, basically. Yeah, there's, the there's six, a, seven years. There's a lot of stuff like that. I mean, Malazan, Book of the Fallen. I mean, I like R. Scott Backer's sort of <laughs> is as a D&D campaign as insane as his world is. I mean, there's a lot. You, you'd be surprised. You'd be like, wait, this was... I like, think The Expanse was based off a Traveler game. I mean, I don't know if you're into anime, but, like, Record of Lotus War was a Japanese D&D game that became, like, a light novel, like a novel series and then an anime and all that. So, yeah. yeah. Yeah, if you ever check it out, it's like a... It used to be a, a D&D campaign. Uh, yeah, so it's all over the place. Yeah, well, it's a good way to do it. I mean, mm-hmm. assuming your players are, are acting out the scenes and you've gotten past, you know, being a kid and role-playing was spelled R-O-L-L, and eventually you figure out it's supposed to be R-O-L-E. <clears throat> it takes time. But um, it's a completely different system and world than D&D, which, you know... But, yeah, it's still going to have similar concepts i'm not going to pretend to get away from that why should you things work for a reason yeah they do they work until you become a money hungry company and try to squeeze every last dime out of your players yes i don't yeah. i don't know where that's coming from i mean nothing no, like I don't that know. recent I don't history know just just blew up the gaming world out of yeah well it looks like that's come out um in a direction that i don't think most of us thought it would you know would resolve in in theory, you know. Uh, we, I mean, we'll we'll see. Right. I mean, we don't need I to get bottled up into the into the OGL, but like, you just the irony was they created the OGL to keep people from competing with them, and instead working to create content to feed into their own system, and then they now have released all those people to make their own stuff again. Right. And I think now with them going to Creative Commons, as I understand it, it is far more protected and far more open than it was. So we'll see. Yeah, they can. They can't do anything about that once they've done it. It's Creative Commons now. They've surrendered all their rights to it. But that's just for every, they, they didn't surrender their rights to like sixth edition that they're about to release. Right, right. It's the it's the older stuff. But yeah, yeah they're just like you can do what you want with third and fifth edition material. That's what they just said. But you can do what you want with fourth edition too, because I don't think no fourth edition was never OGL. Okay, I don't think that was that was part of the problem that killed. That's what killed. That's part of the problem that killed fourth edition. See, they've released all the people to compete against them again, and the Pathfinder was like, fourth edition is garbage. Why don't we just make third edition with some tweaks and keep doing that? And so, yeah, that's and that's why they went back to fifth edition, which is very much back to, like, which is third edition tweaked again instead of the whole fourth edition. is it Like, it has all the names of D&D, but you would not think it's D&D if you played anything. Yeah, yeah I heard it plays more like WoW. It did play like wow. It was terrible. It had well, and Pathfinder's still going forward with Orc, as I understand it. So it, we're in an interesting space to see how things. Yeah. Well, they already out. said they already said with their second edition they had already actually abandoned the SRD, anyways. Yeah. They just were like because they had just rebranded all their. I think they were kind of anticipating this. They were still putting like the OGL icon on there, but they actually said like we didn't have any language in our stuff that actually is from the SRD, so they actually can't do anything to us. If we just stop using the OGL, they were prepared to go to court over it. Right. It seems pretty. You don't have to do much to protect yourself. Um, it's you know I'm hearing that Vox Machina wasn't going to face any risk because they don't use you know they don't use the actual D and D terms even though it's just patently obvious. Yeah, it's it's because they're such generic things that like if you're not using like specific terms, like it's really you can't do much question because it's it all boils down to rolling a dice and you really can't. 
dice have been around too long. You can't like. Well, yeah, and the Supreme Court ruling about protecting uh, systems. Though yeah. Been untested, there's no precedent. Yeah, yeah, but doesn't like it's it, it's it would be it, it's too much like out there. There's too much stuff that uses uses dice rolling. Like you'd never be able to f- defend that unless you're using your specific terms and how they're defined, right? Right. Like, that you could because that's very that's very like copyrightable because it's very specific versus a very broad generic thing. It's like the it's like the reason you know um, Games Workshop no longer calls them Space Marines but Astartes. Because Space Marines is generic, and they can't, you know, trademark it. They can't protect it, sure. Yeah, but Astartes, they're made up, they're sort of quasi-Latin, where they they have always called Space Marines in the lore, but no one ever used it, because it's, you know, it sounds weird. (laughs) But it's actually what they're called in the lore for, like, since the 80s. So it's not like they made up, but that's why they're they're getting away from all that sort of generic common stuff. (laughs) Because they're like, wait, we need to protect our stuff. uh, Yeah, if you want to create... IP that you can protect, you you have to take it out of a generic space. Um, that makes that makes sense to me. Anyways, we're here to talk about Rebirth of the Fallen, your series that is based off your D D or your own RPG system. Mm-hmm. Um, which uh, just from glancing at it, it, seems to be about some kids in a rainforest who everything just kind of goes crazy after they run into a boar and there's events threatening to destroy the world, and it all seems very very intense. Well, that's the starting environment. And funny, like when I went, I got an English degree at one point, but um, in high school, I remember they made us read this line again versus the ants back when they're trying to do man versus nature and man versus self and all that old English stuff. Yeah, well, it's the, it's the three conflicts, man versus man, man yeah. versus nature, man versus self. But I didn't remember that part. I remember, you know, the concept of a swarm of giant ants you know, sweeping across and destroying everything. And, you know, and that happens. That, that happens in the Amazon. Um so I put that into my fantasy world, in, okay. you know, where every, you know, insects are obviously a lot larger. You know, we were all familiar with giant spiders from Tolkien and elsewhere. Um, yes. So I decided to have a million two foot, three foot long giant ants raging across the Amazon or this mystical rainforest, obviously based on the Amazon, and uh, to see what it would do with the society. Um, and then that sets a lot of things in motion. That just gives you your initial setting and your sort of Damocles as they realize this annual migration that used to pass a mile away from their civilization is now going to go right through them, that its path has been altered and they have to figure out why the path has been altered, what politics are in play there. And you slowly start to peel away the onion as you as you get into understanding this world, because uh, it's set, uh, you know, if you look at gaming campaigns, you're always supposed to save the world. Well, if you run enough campaigns, some, somebody's going to fail, right? So I set this 300 years after basically the world fell. That's painful memories from my time playing. Right. I found this world was much more interesting. And as they're going along and they're dealing, you know, with what's going to happen when the black black tide hits them, that's what they call the migration. One of the characters becomes possessed by a figure from 300 years ago. And as they're exploring this, they're finding out that other members of their civilization are similarly possessed and that those possessions sometimes guide them. And there's a much larger spiritual battle being played out where you're starting to see why the world fell 300 years ago, because those figures are coming back and what's happening now. And it's informing, you know, what happens to all of these characters, this group of friends, as they progress to the storyline and try to, you know, battle much larger threats than than you would think them capable of. 
you know, I went and looked at the whole Harry Potter mo- model because uh, I initially wanted it to be more young adult. But one of the things that always frustrated me with that was you've got these epically powerful wizards and they just stand around and don't do anything and let the kids sort it all out, which doesn't make any sense to me. Um, and or there weren't strong enough reasons provided to me, I should say. So in this case, you actually, you know, you do get to see all of these teachers um, and archmages and ancient figures battling as early as book one. Um, they don't always win. Um, and there's a lot of things about the story and the mechanics that get revealed as to why they don't win and how it sets other things into motion. Um, it's a very violent world. I don't shy away from character death. I don't take the George R. R. Martin approach of making it sometimes feel random or I guess more random than I would like. I do want to honor those characters and those deaths, but it still, it does happen, and it does occasionally creep up in places where you didn't expect it, you didn't think it was going to go there. I just think it's important if you're going to write a lethal, visceral world that there's consequences. You know, if you win the battle every time and you never pay a price, eventually those battles become boring, don't they? Yeah, no, my my editor was like, because I I have written books where I kill characters, then I did this one, I was like, you know what, I'm going to do something a little more lighthearted. So I didn't really kill any of my main characters. So I just wanted them all to make it through to the end. So mm-hmm. I was, and she was like, man, everyone keeps getting through these and no one dies. And I'm like, I know, I'm hoping the readers won't notice. <laughs> but I just don't want to kill any of them this time. I'll go back to it. I'll go back to murdering main characters in, in my next series. Just, just this mean, one time. Let me have it. You can do it. You can let them survive as long I, as they're not surviving by plot armor. I mean, I no, they survive. I think I don't think they survive by plot armor. I mean, in so much as, like, I'm plotting ways for them to survive, obviously. Well, I'm not even saying that. You can you can plot your story in such a way where they survive, and it's not. Right, like, I, I they, they survive for legit reasons. Okay, okay. Right. Yeah, it's I think like, that's where I'm at, too. There's, um, there's like, you know, they're, they're not your average group of people. They have, there's a lot of magic going on with them, so they have access to abilities. And I like, I, I think, uh, I like, I actually kind of was going to kill one of the characters, only for me to realize that, in fact, no, if I killed this character, it would be a plot hole because, in fact, I could save the character. And I realized this. I was right. like, oh no, I actually can save this character, and it's a massive plot hole if I just don't. So, in so, in fact, the one character I thought about I would kill, I couldn't because uh, just how it all worked. Like just the metaphysics of it. I was like, wait a sec. Wait, this they just, just have to work. step to the left, and they're and they're fine. Why wouldn't it's they not do quite that? that but like, it's, it's, <laughs> I, I know I'm, I'm I'm minimizing it for humor, but <laughs> but it was like I was just like, oh no, this is uh, no wait, they would actually uh, get to live. Okay, uh, like darn it, I have to save them. But uh, you know, other series, I I tried that. I like my war series. I, I try to have some random deaths in battle. I try to have unexpected, just startling deaths because of uh, just the sheer chaos and randomness of battle. Right. Uh, and I also, I also maimed a couple of my main characters in that one. You know, <laughs> I, I made mean, poor guy spend most of the series with just one leg. Yeah, I've, I've, do, I've done some of that too. There's some, there's some maiming, and some of it is pretty visceral. Um, but that's all coming into counting the cost. I mean, you know, I even looked at yeah. it with beta readers where I was in a position where I could kill off a very dear character, or I could let her live, and I Listen, wrote it both ways. I killed, I killed the, I killed the, the cute flying horse once, and oh, that's man. the one that my beta readers wouldn't let me look down. Well, I, I blew up like I blew up all these other characters in the same battle. I killed lots of characters in this battle I like, but it's it's the flying horse that you're mad at me about, just because I made the owner have to put him out of its misery after he was fatally wounded and in pain, and it was a horribly traumatic event for that character. I don't. Oh, understand. and you wrote out the scene, I assume. Yes. 
Okay, well, that, 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 that might border on cruel, but it's important. That it was important for her character arc. <laughs> I get it. She needs, to be, she needs to be suffering with PTSD in the next book, so I can take her down her alcoholic path, and that she has to deal with that in the next book as her coping mechanism, because I made her kill her horse. There could be other reasons she got there, but I... Also, her mother was an alcoholic, so it was kind of like... She was becoming her mother without realizing it, and so it was like sort of confronting her own past, like of her childhood. So, like, I didn't just make her an alcoholic just for the hell of it. I did it. No, you had a reason. You had an arc. I got it. Yeah, and those are important. I mean, I've got part of the the possession and the spiritual game in here. There's a whole lore to it. The spirits are called a Lauren, and there's a Highlander mechanic to it as well, um, where they gain power from hunting other people and creatures that have ancient spirits in them. And some of the characters do become very, very addicted to that. Yeah. And since the possession gets stronger, the more you feed it, you know, you've got characters who are essentially almost being forced to murder and having to fight, you know, through that addiction. And, and that plays out. So oh. it's fun to have that stuff on multiple levels. I'm, uh, yeah, no, I do many things. I, I made a character in his quest for vengeance accidentally kill his lover. So that wasn't good for that. Character. Well, I mean, it was good. The character needed to learn there are consequences to going on you know, anger-fueled revenge trips, you know. So he learned that lesson. <laughs> going to take that lesson to heart. A little extremely, but yeah. Well, again, it tied back to his backstory where, you know, his abusive father was a really horrible person and made him do some awful things as a kid. The sins and, of the father are revisited on the children. I, yeah. Yeah. So this is this is, this is him, like, you know, you know, it's just being like a main character in a series where the writer is a dick. That's all it is. Well, that's one way of looking at it. The other way is saying that, you, you know, we no, can grit a lot of ways and you're showing emotional grit and emotional baggage. But it's realistic. And that's one of the interesting things about fantasy. You can make a decision that all your characters are alien and that their morals and, and emotions are completely alien. And I guess that's a legitimate decision. I didn't go that route, um, and I find it just more interesting as a human reader to actually have my characters have regular human emotions of fear, guilt, lust, whatever emotions you want. I just, yeah. It's really boring if they don't have it, and then it gets really easy to marry Sue or Gary Stewart character if, if they don't have any you know, actual reasonable reactions. No, no, it's fine. I, like, I, I had to. I mean, he'll... Um... I mean, he'll probably get a, a glorious death or something. I don't know. I'm not sure what his end is going to be. I only really plotted up to this part of his arc, and now I have to figure out how it affects him. I'm thinking I know where it's going to go, so we'll see how it plays out. But that's for, like, next books. That's mm-hmm. future That's future books problems. Oh, gosh, I have to figure out what I'm doing with him in the next book. If future problems are good problems to have. Yeah, that's it. I'm, I just finished the book, so now I'm trying to figure out what everyone's doing and where they're at, because, like, it was a bad book. Like, they lost. This was, this was they didn't save the day book. Mm-hmm. And so now they're kind of dealing with, um, at least uh, the guy they put in charge is really dealing with it. We'll now, do you choose to write more serial or episodic? Do you put a lot of time between your the end of one book and the start of the next? God, no. You're, yeah, lucky, if there's, you're lucky if there's a five-minute break. I'll give them a week or two to advance. You know, a construction no. project where well, nobody the problem is the problem is is that I tend to end them on very emotional moments, and I need to then write what their reaction is, and I can't just sure. skip a week. I mean, I have I think 
Well, no. you, but you could take it up a week later, and they could be dealing with the repercussions. But then I'll just spend all that time recapping what they did in that. And in, in this case, I really can't because I literally just ended with them. Right, right. Like I really to, do have to yeah, pick yeah. up with with their storylines right where they left off. Yeah, I, I definitely get that. I like to just advance the mundane things. You know, if they end, if it was mundane, it was mundane stuff. Yes, that's fine. Like, I, you know, I had I wrote traveling ones where you like, oh yeah, you just skip like you just skip some time. I think I've. Even then, I'll still probably pick up right where the last book left off, and then I might skip forward after I just. Um, sure, that's a, that's a decision. I get that decision. Yeah. I think I did one. Yeah, one time in my traveling series where I really did actually skip going forward, because it was it kind of felt like there wasn't any, for once, any real emotional baggage that came out of it. So we've all learned a little bit of a lesson from some other fantasy series that came before us that when you put it down, you realize the characters just walked a lot. I like to take out if some if that walking's uneventful. I like to right, right. Well, I mean, I'll describe some scenery stuff. You know, set the the terrain, the sort of culture they're walking through, and then you know, just you can skip time if there's nothing happening. Yeah. Um, but yeah, no, I like I just like to do that to have some character to the world to show like how you know what's interesting. I, you know, just to like to paint different parts of the world. I mean, this series I wrote, I'm talking, it was a traveling series. Mm-hmm. The whole point was I wanted to take them all over the world, so I kind of did want to take them to new and different places, and then you know describe them. So it's not like they walked through all the same places. I don't think I don't think they really went to any place that was like like any other previous place, except for like once they got to the end of the series and they kind of were in one like using a base of operation because we got to the point where they're able to travel faster. Okay, and, sure. You introduced them. and yeah, or they had dragons by then. Okay, so that, yeah, that's tech, that's magic. Yeah, I just introduced one of the characters ends up finding a portal spell and one where he can take other, a full portal where he can take other people across the world. He's the only one in the world that has it. It's lost magic. Um, so yeah, they've just been able to start to open that door where now they do have the ability to get from point A to point B um, without walking across the world. But it does face wonderful economic decisions too because every other wizard wants it. Um, and he doesn't know how to teach it. So it, it, it's fun when you start to get to introduce that tech where where you've changed, you know, the kind of landscape, changed the rules fundamentally and to see what you can do with it. And it also gets rid of some of that travel. Yeah, actually, this series hasn't had a lot of travel. I've been surprised. I'm like, man, you guys keep really staying in the same place. And I need to stop keeping you in the same place. But Blow it up. Well, you know, I just said they lost. So I've addressed this issue now. So, they can't stay in the same place. <laughs> they can't stay there any longer because I just destroyed it. They lost. It's it got overrun. So now they're doing um. Now we're going to have a retreating, you know, refugee retreat. So that'll be fun. Maybe we'll see. <laughs> Lots of casualties. Yeah, that should be fun. Yeah. No. I, I I got like four more books. I need to kind of pace my caroling important characters. I don't I don't want to like end up like George R. R. Martin where maybe I've killed too many characters and I don't know what to do with my series. And so I've been doing nothing for a decade. I mean, well, you know, he could save so many of his characters. He just never sent them on a goddamn boat because they just go on a boat. And like, there's a 50, 50 chance that that boat just never shows up again, that it just something sinks it. And all those characters are gone. It seemed to be a recurring theme back when I read those. That has um, never happened once in with any important characters. It's happened with a lot of ancillary ones, though. The important ones, the important ones have stopped kind of dying. I thought plot armor started to creep in, and I, you know, I expect there are reasons for that. It's publisher probably, but that's another series that's just, just never. If his publisher finished. had any control over Martin, it wouldn't have been a decade since he published the last book. 
Well, there's only so much control you can have when HBO is giving you all the money in the world. Did he have issues before HBO signed up? He did. Um, he Well, I mean, I thought three and four had some problems trying to tell the same time period. That's four and five, but, like, he wrote five? the... That was one book he split apart, and he had written three quarters of it, and it still took him six years after he published four to release five. Yeah. And, and it was only, and, and the HBO only picked him up in that period. Like, um, the fifth book came out, like, right after the first season. They didn't option him before for any of that? I don't know exactly when they optioned him, but, uh, they, it was, it was made during that time period. Yeah, it was definitely made. Um, so he clearly started to peter out at that point. I, I don't know what it was. Like he, I don't know. He just he got he got he called he got writer's block with um with what he called the Marinese knot, where he couldn't figure out how to get all these characters into one place in a way that made sense. And uh, I don't know. I figure he's got some issue like that. I don't know. He just hasn't been writing the books, in fact. Right, right. Like he, he's just like he said. Like I think he was like he's writing his first Tyrion scene in like seven years. And I I don't know. Like he's just he's just having fun going around the world being famous. Is I think what it is. He just doesn't care. He's my. Like, he just kind of got burned out in writing the series? Well, I mean, you know, just having, if you can do that with your life, maybe you make different choices if you're in that economic position. Um, yeah. Congrats to him, I guess, is the end of that story. Um, I don't think we'll see, you know, more. Okay. I don't think we'll see conclusion from that world. But then again, maybe we never were supposed to. He claims there's two books left. He only needs two books to finish it. Yeah, and Rothfuss claims that, you know, I'm, I'm hearing I, that his book's been done for ages, which tells me that it's not good. Or not up to That's not surprising. Like that. I've read his first book. Now it, yeah, I've read his first book. I books. would describe that as not good. That would be my opinion. See, I liked his first quite a lot. I didn't like a second. Um, but I loved the writing. I should, say, I should say his prose was really good. I just hated his character and his story. And his lack of story. Everything else. Like, it was, it was a beautiful world. Like, he, had, he was really good at the writing. Mm-hmm. I just wish he was writing something interesting. He did write something interesting. He wrote an old man having to deal with weird demon stuff when he was retired. That was interesting. Having that old man then just tell his life story about how he was the greatest kid ever was not interesting. Yeah, because the unreliable narrator didn't really carry through well enough. I look at it as like he was a brilliant, brilliant storyteller, but there wasn't a story. Because not a lot happened in that 780 pages or whatever the first book. I don't know. I actually did not finish. I threw. Oh, see, I I did. Three quarters. I got three quarters. I didn't enjoy that at all. Well, I I just saw red flags. I was like, I wasn't going to enjoy the love story because I was already seeing like what it was going to be, and I was like, this is just going to get irritate me. Yeah, it'll get sappy real fast. And the funny thing is, he doesn't even get there. No, Um, not sappy. I just saw this like, oh, it's just going to be that that like hot cold hot cold craziness, and I'm just like, I don't want to deal with that. And again, I wanted to go back to the old man. I didn't care about kid him. That was the other problem. It was a poor framing narrative, maybe. Yeah, when you like the narrator more than the story the narrator's saying, I, I get that. Because I think it was refreshing every time you, you snap back into the present and you're in that end with him telling the tale and other things are happening in in the current world. Yeah. I was um, like, it's like things were happening that were important, but he's going to just take the time to tell this random stranger his entire life story. Well, I think it turns out there probably was a reason for it, but he hasn't been able to write that. I'm sure there was. Fair enough. Yeah, no, I heard he wrote like a prequel or something. He did. One of the characters, I think, in book two. I've heard, I haven't read it, but I've heard from a lot of people that it's much better. It's much more focused. Okay. Really like I mean, people, there's a lot of people out there who love his writing. I hope he That's fine. releases like, book three. Good for listen, him. I know a lot of people who are fans of like, um, oh, what's his name? Who wrote the uh, uh, Wizard First Roll series? Terry Goodkin. 
And, like, I get it. Risen's First Rule is really good. Sadly, there's a lot of other books after it. Yeah, and I think I only read book, and I think yeah, I liked Book that. one is a really great book. It went downhill, huh? I made the right I, decision. I like the second book, too. The third book was, I don't remember it. The fourth book was garbage. And the fifth book, I didn't finish. Okay. Well, the fifth book just introduced a bunch of characters that were in this kingdom, and it was all a bunch of politics and, like, this guy trying to get power, and he has his wife, and then she just, like, starts banging the king because he's like, I'm a god, and it's okay and he's, I don't know, it was just weird, like, power incestuous stuff. And it had nothing to do, and I was like, what is this to do with the character? And it was like, at this point, it was just all over the place as far as, like, characters and, like, I don't know. It just didn't feel like a focused series. It felt mm-hmm. like a very meandering series. And it was meandering way off the path. How how long ago were those? I read those in the 90s. Okay. Like, it was, uh, it was like, it was like, I thought Terry Goodking was, like, my waiting for Robert Jordan to write the next Wheel of Time fix, right, when I was a teenager. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, cool, another big epic fantasy series for me to like. And so I was like, well, like, you know, book seven's not out yet, so I'll read this. And Well, maybe Brandon Sanderson will swoop in and save it. No, he, fin- like, Terry Good can finish the series before he died. Yeah, just joking, since you referenced uh, Wheel of Time. Right, no, Brandon Sanderson's going to swoop in and finish George R. R. Martin. That's the current joke right now. <laughs> okay. You ever heard that one? Yeah, they're like, yeah, you know, Brendan Sanderson will finish. <laughs> he'll get it done in a year. Well, yeah, he'll have to get it done sooner than that because he's got his, uh, what did he have, a Patreon or GoFundMe where, where he's giving additional books away. And I think he made more money than any of his publishing off of that. That guy's prolific. Uh, yeah, no, I got the, yeah, that the first book actually just arrived at my house last week. Okay, good. So, yeah, I don't know what it's about. I haven't read it yet. Uh, like, it's up on Amazon, too, now. But yeah, no, he's very prolific. I don't know. He writes books. They tend to be good. I don't have any complaints with Brandon Sanderson. Yeah, I don't. I don't think. I don't think many do. Some people do. You can find a complaint with anybody. Um, yeah. You know, and, and the broader your reach, the more people out there who aren't going to. Yeah, of course, you. that's just how it is. I think people just. I think a lot of people just got butt hurt that he made so much money on this Kickstarter. Yeah, and it's interesting. Um, I've had a, a few discussions and seen a few discussions on it, but you know. He did all the work to be in the position to do that. Yeah. He, you know, he built, he built a name for himself. And he's, like, cutting out his publisher, which, I mean, I mean, I know what, like, publisher royalties are. They're not great. No. No, they're not. Although he, you know, probably has a better one. But he was like, yeah, the way. Like, I heard years ago, he actually was giving out this advice to, like, new authors. He's like, listen, like, write a novel and self-publish it. Write a novel to submit to, like, um the trad publishers if you want to go trad but, it, but you know then write like something to publish on your own you know and that's actually his advice he gave this advice like years ago now he's like I guess following he's like you know he doesn't you know I mean I think he'll probably he still has contracts and stuff so he'll have like his series right. they'll all be published but yeah I don't like I don't see why not cut out the, the trad publishers you know yeah I don't think he, he he certainly doesn't need it anymore but you're right he obviously is under contract yeah like yeah if he's willing to do all the work it takes you know I mean he has his own company to do it he has the resources <laughs> you know I mean that's why like if you if you were making money with a trad publisher and you just want to be lazy like I I wouldn't blame you for sticking with him <laughs> not yeah I just I've heard the money's just not that good um no I hosted a panel with Matt Forbick um, and uh, Ben Riggs recently. Uh, ben Riggs wrote Slaying the Dragon, which is a history of TSR. And Matt Forbick was an industry writer forever. It's a, he's a unit of measurement because mm-hmm. it was back when paid for words. So he was producing like 5,000 words a day. I think he's got over 100 
books and a lot of New York Times bestsellers. And he pretty much said, look, you're not going to make any money doing that. He writes video game stuff now because he's, you know, tangential and does like the work yeah. plotting for that stuff. I mean, it was only 1% of authors that could ever make a living. And I'm not saying like a good living, but just a living on writing. Yeah. It's always been the case. But like Stephen King, I think he's just, he doesn't want to deal with the hassle of self-publishing. So he just sticks with his publisher, you know. That's make, probably true. Yeah, I mean, why, why, you know, he's an old, like, he's just like, doesn't need to work. He doesn't, he's got all the money he needs. Well, and I think his he just likes writing. Deal you can ever get is to have somebody option your work and then not do it because you still get paid and then you can re-option it. And I think that True. happens like everything he writes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then that just saves us from having terrible Stephen King adaptations if they don't get made. Because where they just take the name and do something completely different. Yeah. Or you know whatever. Like there's some really bad Stephen King adaptations out there. Like there's a like his non-horror stuff seems to come out better, but like. Yeah, I'm hearing that. I haven't read uh, Fairy Tale, but I, I'm hearing that it's fantasy stuff. I did read Talisman a long time ago. Him and Peter Talisman's Stern. really great. I love that. Yeah, but no, I meant like uh, like Green Mile or. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean that's not really horror. It's got some. No, it's not. It's got some existential like horror to it if you think about it. Like like he's a guy who like he's like 110. He's an old man, and like the mouse from the 30s is still alive. And he's just like, well, I'm going to just be alive. If a mouse is still alive after like 70 years, I am, I'm in for a long one, you know. <laughs> so there's definitely that. Like he's just going to watch everyone die because he uh, he flipped the switch on one of God's miracles. Yeah, but you're right. It's not as much horror as it is. No, but for the most part, it's it's a different. It's type certainly of got mystic elements to it, though. Yeah, it's yeah, not. yeah. But you know, it's a great adaptation. Um, but, like, then you get stuff like, uh, I don't know, what's a bad Stephen King movie? Lone Wolfman. Uh, yeah. Or the, or the, um, what is that one where they get the, not the Tommyknockers, although I think that's a bad adaptation, too, but the, um, the one where they're trapped out of time. And they're chased by the meatballs that look, that's the best of 90s TV CGI. <laughs> what is it? The I Langoliers. don't think I know that one. The Langoliers. Chased by meatballs? Oh, God, it's such a... It's a weird idea, anyways. It's basically like a short story, but like okay. it's like this plane just like falls into the like just like it, it somehow slips out of time into like a frozen second that gets to, that gets so every like second or moment of time like is there and then it gets eaten by these floating meatballs. It's Stephen King is weird, but like <laughs> and so this is just played and they're suddenly there. Like, our own, own, the only people who are on the plane are those who were asleep when it happened. Like, so apparently, I don't know if, like, I don't know what happened to the people who are awake. Like, did they just keep flying and it was only the people who were asleep that got stuck in here? Or did they just get, like, no one knows. But, uh, and so they try to get out of it and they're being chased and there's a bunch of crazy stuff and there's a bunch of bad acting. And, uh. <laughs> yeah, I think I missed that one. You didn't. It's fine. But yeah, so, uh, you got Rebirth of Fallen. Do you do any other series besides this one? Not yet. Okay. Um, this is the first one, and I want to. This thing's probably going to be twelve to fifteen books, so I want to keep focusing on this. Uh, you know, as we talked about, writers who you know let their series go fallow. It, it had been having been a reader of a lot of those series, I, I just don't want to do that. Um, so I'm trying to release a book every six to eight months, um, and I want to continue this story until it's at a reasonable ending point before branching off and doing you know my next series. Yeah, it's it's hard sustaining a story that long. You know, you gotta have like enough story for it. Oh, I've got I could do okay. thirty. 
Uh, keep in mind, I played that campaign was a uh, hundred games long over like six, seven years. Um, and they didn't finish, um, you know, life intervened and stopped before we got to telling the whole story. Oh. Um, yeah, yeah so I've, I've got content for ages. Like, we, I don't know, we always played, like, in settings, so it was, like, so like all the D&D, all the stuff I DM'd, like, I can't, I have to, like, I can't just one-to-one adapt it, because, you know, I'd be having to, like, give Watsy money. Right, right. Because, like, I don't know, we played a lot of Forgotten Realms. Yeah, and this was my own world and my own thing, so I had the flexibility to do that, and I built a system because I liked playing, you know, first edition D&D, you know, which was never written to play high-level characters, but I liked the concept. I liked longer games, so I wrote a system that was scalable, and you could play to the equivalent of 30th-level D&D characters and still be continually challenged. It didn't break. Um, So it allowed me to do a lot more things like that. And I did metagames too, you know, where I would, okay, if there's a certain power level, I'll create a war game scenario or I'll buy some of those co-op games with the dungeon tiles and I'll make my dungeon into that with a whole system that they can play out. You know, so I did a lot of things to extend the life of games where ordinarily your characters would, you know, be too powerful where you could easily bog down a game session. Um, So I, I, you know, put in another mechanics to challenge them and to take away some of, the actual die rolling mechanic when I decided it would be too cumbersome, but still gave players agency. You know what I did once? I um I had all my special bosses. I didn't actually give them stat. Okay. I just uh I just watched how the like I had them have like attack and damage rolls, mm-hmm. and I gave them like an AC so or you know like and saves and stuff so like they can so yeah. You, you, but you, like what I did was I just gauged how the battle was going. Sure. And like and then when like I felt like they had an appropriate enough challenge, they won. Yeah, I otherwise does that to a degree. I mean, otherwise, because listen, this I played with a bunch of munchkins, right? They're mm-hmm. power gamers. They, you know, you have to like do crazy. You have to like, you either have to like make encounters so hard that if they slip up, like it's a party wipe. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, they trounce the bad guy. <laughs> like it was like, so I was like, you know what? I didn't want to do all that, so I just like, I just, I just faked it. So one of the conceits in this, and they game didn't know. Series. So they didn't. They thought they, they thought they. They didn't right. know. They had the experience they wanted, so that's, you know... So you yeah, they had fun, and they didn't one-shot the boss, you know, and the boss, you know, didn't kill, murder them, so it was like a challenge. I heard them, right? They had to, like, they had to overcome obstacles or whatever, so there's, like, a things about the boss that was that was hindering them. Right, right. Yeah, yeah I mean, and you can you can certainly control things. I think, I think most skilled storytellers have a finger on that scale. I mean, even when I did play with the boss with real stats, I would always have a finger on the scale. Yeah, you kind of have to. Yeah. But it's a cooperative experience, you know, and the, yeah. and the, everybody at the table is supposed to have fun and be participating. And if you get too involved in the die rolls and, and the math of it, you can take away from that very easily. That's why you never want to play fourth edition. <laughs> you have no Don't idea. You have no idea. It's like status element, the video game. Like it's all you start doing in the by the time you hit the teens is it's just status element. Like, every attack you have puts some sort of debuff on the enemy. Every attack they do puts some... And, and you have to track, like, everything. And then yeah. all it is is just trying to remember, like, what buffs are on people. What, you know, it was a nightmare. And your your damage never really went up that much. But the hit points would. So, like, so like the enemy damage isn't all that much more than it was, like, ten levels earlier. Your damage isn't all that much more. But they just have more hit points. Oh, man. And what they did, instead of, like, giving you more damage... Was they gave you more status effects. 
So it's like, like playing a Korean MMO where you have a 27 hour boss fight and the only challenge is not to, you know, miss your rotation when you have to go to the bathroom or fall asleep. Well, except for you don't have a computer keeping track of all of that stuff. Right, right. No, I get yourself. that part. I get that part for sure. And it just got to like where someone's like it, like we would do like two battles in a, like an eight hour session because it literally took like 10, 15 minutes for a turn for get one person. For like one just person. to get. Yeah. Oh, it was the. Yeah. So I don't recommend playing fourth edition. Yeah. I didn't mean to bring back that horrible memory. That's no, fine. It's fine. My DM was just very insistent that we just play the newest version of D&D. And uh, so like, we were like, we'll give it a try. And then we just we bought all the books. So then we were like in the sunk cost fallacy. Right, right. I have these books. I have to use them. I must not be understanding it. Like, I, cause, I, like, I, and I will admit, like, low level was actually fine. Like, you, it was fine playing in, like, the 10s. But, like, you just hit, like, level 12. And you're, like, all excited. You, you know these abilities you're going to get. And then it just it gets terrible. Then the campaign ends, and then we're like, "We'll start a new campaign." <laughs> yeah, and, and then and then it's inevitably shorter because people remember what they didn't like about the last one. It's not a good cycle, uh, but fortunately, I think that version is gone and never to come back. So, no, no, it's not. Well, we have been recording for a while, so uh, I got to get going. But uh, yeah, so everyone, check out his Nah book series. It's uh. It's Rebirth of the Rebirth Fallen. Of the Fallen, yeah. I closed my notes. And I... Yeah, book four just released um, awesome. at the end of December. So yeah. five, I'm in production on it right now. I'm just getting the cover drafts from um, Black Rose's artist. Um, but that's going to release August 3rd. Do you have to book your, your artist like way in advance? No. So with Black Rose, um, once I get a production date, one thing they're very good at is... Oh, you have a publisher. Okay. Yeah. Well, small press, indie press. But, but they're very good about once they give you a production date, they will meet it. They're very professional in that respect. You no, know, so just, my artist is like booked for a year. So I have to like just like book like, oh, yeah, in the fall, I'm going to just need five covers. And like of what? We'll figure that out in, in seven months. I'll, right. You're just I'll know by time. then. I'll know yeah. by then. Oh, I'm doing I have to do that with releases. I don't do that with covers. Once I'm on the schedule, I, I know when that's going to show up and I'm practice now with working with this artist where we come up with good stuff but um i have to like if i want to release every six to eight months i got to tell them in advance you know even if i'm just you know 100 pages or you know twenty thousand words into the current book that hey i want to release on this date so you want to give me a contract for this date we've got a good enough relationship where he's going to do that but you know it's not a problem i thought i'd ever have it's a good problem to have um yeah no it was interesting like uh I had to give titles for books I hadn't even written the first one. I was still in world building. And I'm like, I just like, I know I'm going to need at least five covers. And so I was like, it was last, it was last spring. It's like, yeah, so we'll just do five covers. And, uh, uh, I just, I even just said like, here's what I want on the covers and I'll, well, titles are TBD. And so she just like, like I told her like what it was called, the series called Rise of the Dragon Knights. Okay. And each, each cover was a different knight and their dragon, right? So there's, and they're all different like colors and, and, sure, you know, sure. different elements to the dragons, right? And so she just, she just saw like what they were and she was like, called in this night and this, and I was like, wait, I really like this. Not only did you just name like half these dragons I hadn't actually named yet, because I, I think all but one of them I really liked what her, her just placeholder name was for them. <laughs> just called them like, like the first book was like Radiance Knight, because it was like a white glowy dragon. Yeah. And I was like, Radiance, that's a nice name for like a female, like light dragon. Okay, and then like, and then I was like, okay, that's yeah, no, I like this title. And so yeah, so she named like 
four of these like ten dragons for me because they were the ones on covers, and she and kind of gave the template for like cause I don't know I thought like would I just go with like made up fantasy name, but then she was like oh this this is an electric dragon so she like Spark I'm like I like Spark and she's like yeah you didn't name him Sparky which would have been cute but no I didn't <laughs> well there are like adult dragons with right and I, I think I've, I've lo- I looked at yeah, your extensive um list of published novels so I did I did look through some of those oh. Well, thanks. Fair well, enough. There's a lot there. There's quite a lot there. You're very prolific, and you release. So, yeah, I actually, you know, I, I don't want to take too much of your time, but I do got to know. So you had a series that a book was coming out every month. Three weeks. Yeah, I just looked at the months. I didn't look at the dates. It was, three, nice. it was, it was three weeks. <laughs> no, because it was horrible. I'm, I'm traumatized all. So did you have a lot of those pre-written in yes, the can? I had all. I had all 12 of them written by the so we did that all last year so it was from March of 2022 to October of 2022 released 12 books oh they were all written um they were all written by the end of December of 2021 okay and I was and they were in the process of being editing so I was I was it wasn't writing that I was keeping head of it was editing oh, and I had okay. the covers for all but like the last three books done but you had to rapid edit all 12 of them continually without a break yeah, I spent oh. um, I spent nine months just editing last year. I didn't write much because I was just editing. My 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 poor editor had to keep up with this too. So it wasn't just me on my end. I had to then right. had my I had to get it done fast enough so my editor. And there was I think in like June where I was really just feeling the pressure. Was was there a reason up. you had to do it that fast, or was it because just- we put them all up on pre order? And you don't mess with Amazon pre orders, or they will suspend your pre order privilege for a year. Okay. So you, if you're an indie author and you put something up for pre-order, you need to release it then or Amazon gets very mad at you. Yeah, unfortunately, in my, that's not a problem I'll deal with with my current arrangement, but who knows no. what I do in the future. But now that explains your scenario to me a lot better. And that's, that's just good. It's good to know. So, sure I mean, okay, so I do, I do have like a little hybrid publisher that just helps me with um, like advertising. Okay. And like release strategy and stuff like that. And so, um, like, I mean, so like he, I was asked ahead of time, Hey, we going to do this. He want to do it. He told me, he pitched me four weeks originally. And then he was like, let's shorten it to three weeks. And I was like, okay, I think that's doable. We're going to go for it. And then once, and since we had all the covers up, we just put them all up on pre-order, like in, um, like early February. And so then I'm locked in on all these dates and I had, and I had to have them ready like a week and like week or 10 days before the actual release date. That's like the cutoff for Amazon. You need to have, you better have right. a book published before the cutoff or they'll just release it with nothing. Yeah. Which, which obviously is a bad look. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, so yeah, no, but it was, uh, it was fine. Like I said, I had all the covers done. I had them all written. So it was just a matter of, um, just, keeping up on top of the editing. But that's and, still, uh, that's a ton of work. It, I mean, it was work I had to get done anyways. Yeah, that's true. I mean, it's just, I, for me, I like to spend some time in between edits. Um, just I, to decompression, get out of my head. Now, maybe you had enough books where you can go book one, book two, book three, book four. Now I can go back to book one because it's clear from my head and I can look at it with fresh eyes. So, you know, I mean, yeah, you got to, you got to, you got to remember like I was, I was only, I was in the process. So like I was writing book 10, as I was also editing book one on the side. Gotcha. Right. Okay. So like I would, I don't, I don't, um, I don't write a book and immediately edit it. 
I write, I tend to write an entire series and then I edit the entire series or I'll start editing the series once I'm into like the end, near the end. Um, mainly because then I can just jump back in and, um, tweak earlier books to right. see the end plot points from later books that I didn't. Yeah. Think. You can build your continuity and fix it. Right. You're not exactly. so constrained then. I'm not. And I imagine when you go through the editing, you find things, things that you, that you would put out there. Um, that you might have wanted to build on, and you can tie them into actually. Weirdly, I'm really good at remembering at remembering those little seeds usually. So, yeah, I just I just mark them down. I've got a file for it. Uh, no, I don't know. I just well, I tend to write them back to back. So that's like I I write so like I write them usually back to back to back. So they're once it's my main focus, um, except for this one series that I'm in the process of editing right now, and that's where I wrote the first two books three years ago, and then I wrote. The uh, last book last year, so I put it aside for three years, and so I had to pick up this series again. And um, as I'm editing the first book, I'm realizing there's a couple little things that I didn't quite remember correctly, uh, just like uh, some visual things and uh, how they swore. I couldn't remember how I had them swear. Oh yeah, I invent my own swears as well. Um, I well, I like I I kind of mix them up. Not like, yeah, but it was like, I just, I couldn't remember, so we'll have to tweak those up. And, but yeah, yeah. No. language and diction things. You establish addiction for a character and you forgot completely about it. You're like, oh shit, I gotta go through and edit. It's not that every, bad. Every, every time this person talks to get that diction back. You know, it, you, these are, these are problems I think every, author. I, I couldn't remember, like, I, I, I couldn't remember, like, their haircut. So I think I wrote the third book with the wrong, like, hairstyle for a female character. Well, she could have changed her style. No. no, I know what you're saying. You want to be well, like, I, I thought I had her, like, shave her head in the first two books. Oh. Turns yeah. out I didn't. <laughs> and they, and like I said, I tend to write books that are back to back to back. Right. So how did she grow a full head of hair in between books? It, well, not full head. It was just, a, it was just a living condition. She, I just, uh, I thought she would just keep it because it was, she was not living in, in, she was living in pretty, like, the reasons the Egyptians shaved their heads is because you don't want to deal with that when you're right. living, in, um, when you're not living in great conditions. But and then I realized like they she did not she was just cutting it very very short so it was pretty close but now I'm gonna have to fix that in the third book and stuff like that but um yeah anyways, it sounds like you built your process to do that efficiently so yeah no I have my process uh, then Michael Evan makes me do co-author stuff with him and that throws my process off yeah I've seen some of the sci-fi stuff referenced I know I gotta I gotta go write two books for him now but they look fun. I mean, they are they fun. Big, big, a lot don't, of whimsy. Don't get me wrong; they're fun and whimsical and completely different. But it's 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 disruptive. Um, I don't know. This third book, I've never spent so much time writing a book, except for my two hundred seventy thousand page fantasy novel when I was when I wrote less, and it still took me the same amount of time to 270, write. Two hundred seventy thousand words, or two? Yeah, that's that's a long one. That's a long. Yeah, one. and this one's only one hundred and eleven, and it took me the same amount of time to write. Well, and in fairness. Like, I kept having to stop. Like, I stopped it. I stopped writing it right after I started writing it to finish off this third book. So I was like, so I was writing this third book as, like, a side project. But then I got to, like, the final, like, 20% of it. And I just was like, I'm go- I went all in on it. I stopped writing this other novel. I was just writing it, like, three hours a day, you know, churning out, like, 7,000 words on it. Right. Just an hour into the end because I was locked in. And then, so I go back to, like, and I wrote, so I go back to this novel. And I wrote it for another couple of days. Then I go on vacation for two weeks. So nothing happened. 
And then I come back from vacation. I just trying to get back into it. And then I have to. Then I had to. I had to write this little project with Michael because he finally got the outline done. Mm-hmm. And so I put it down again. And so yeah, I finally got through it all. And I, I was like, I made a deal with him. Like, listen, we're gonna we'll do this whole trilogy, but I got to finish this novel first. And once I'm done, I'll power through the the two books, and then I'm going back to my stuff, and I'm not touching anything of yours until I get the series done. <laughs> Yeah, it's hard to start and stop. I mean, that's the lesson that authors should take away is, you know, once you stop, it's hard to get that ball rolling again. Uh, that's why, like, yeah, I finish, I finish a book and I'm immediately starting the next one, even just to get a damn foothold into it. So, you know. I know. Like I said, I, I put that series aside for three years and it still took me, like, once I wanted to get back to it, it still took me like a year to actually get back to it. Yeah, because you've lost your, your, your mental momentum, you know, and just so many things that, you know, even if you aren't putting it out on an outline, there's so many things in your head that you know that you're, you're building towards, even if unconsciously. Yeah, you stop that momentum. It is so hard. I said, yeah, uh, I had to, I had to go read. down. I'm like, don't. Just keep I had going. To, yeah, I had to go reread the series, the first two books, just to sort of remind myself on stuff and get back into, like, where they are. And, but, yeah. And it was and it was good. At least it also didn't help that it was a different setting. Like they they left where they were in the first two books, so I was able to. At least I didn't have to keep that continuity too long. So I'm right. Like, All right, they're out of the, out into the into the greater world now. I'm we're literally just, starting fresh. I'm putting them someplace else. Yeah, well, you know, um, like something major happened in the second book, and they were able to go places now. Mm-hmm. And so we went places while also being mean to them in the process. Yeah, that seems to be a recurring theme with you. Meanness to your character. So mean. You can write a meta book later where they all group up and do bad things to you, but I think Stephen King's already beat us to that. No, just go read Michael Evans and our weird stuff. He makes me write myself into his book sometimes. Okay. And then it's so weird. So, so weird. But, yeah. All right. I really... Really no, I, I, I've, taken, I've taken too much of your time. No, Everybody read my stuff. It's really not. Just I have to do something in five minutes, so really have to go now. <laughs> it's like, uh, to my heart out. So I did have a lot of fun talking with you, Jeff. I uh, wish you well. People follow him on social media stuff. We're going to have all that links down there. Um, I normally would let you talk about that, but I really do have to go. But we're out of time, and we got Yeah. Lost. It was a, so, good, it was a real good, fun, fun conversation. It was. You have a great one. You too. This has been Creatives in Focus. You can follow my books on Amazon under JMD Read, or join my readers group, Fantastic Worlds of the Imagination, on Facebook to keep up with news and releases.